0: and thinking about hope, which is a good thing for our church to be studying and thinking about together this morning. So let's turn our attention to Psalm 42. This is God's holy, true, and life-giving word. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep. while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you and praise you that you speak to us, even now, even today, through your word and spirit, and most of all, through the person and work of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask, Lord, that as we look at this psalm this morning, that you would teach us how to put our hope in you, and that you would give us hope, which we so desperately need. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting, somebody has said that hope and despair are, in in one way, they're identical, and in another way, they're opposite. Now, they're identical in this way, both hope and despair have to do with how you're imagining the future is going to be. So hope is when you imagine a future that is good, and despair is when you can't help but to imagine a future that is not good. But again, both hope and despair uh, kind of flow out of how we imagine the future to be. And what's so interesting about hope and about despair is that studies show that people who have high levels of despair, it actually impacts our bodies physically. In fact, one researcher says that people who have high levels of despair, that despair impacts their body as much as smoking a pack of cigarettes every day. So that makes sense of why God wants us to have hope, why he has designed us to need hope. Hope is not just something that we want, it's something we actually need, and our God knows that, and so our God gives us hope, and we're going to see that in this psalm this morning. And he ultimately gives us hope in Christ. And so, the good news this morning, friends, is that in Christ, God has given us a limitless source of life giving hope. In Christ, God has given to us a limitless source of life giving hope. And so, if we want to have hope in hard times, then, uh, as we look at this psalm, uh, we want to know three things. Number one, we need to know something about our condition. So, we'll talk about that. And number two, if we want to have hope in hard times, we need to know something about God's sovereignty. Which we'll see here as well, and number three, we need to know something about God's faithfulness. So that's where we're headed, kids. If you're looking for a word of the day, it's going to be hope. Hope is the word of the day. So uh, let's talk about how how in Christ God has given us a limitless source of life giving hope. And let's first start with talking about our condition. What do we need to know about our condition? And What we need to know is that if we want hope in hard times, we need to recognize that hope will not come naturally to us, In our fallen condition, hope is not something that comes naturally to us. Despair is actually quite more natural to us, to worry and to feel like things will never get better. You know, if you look at the psalmist here, uh, what's amazing about this psalm is he's going through something clearly very, very difficult. He's crying all the time. And he doesn't tell us what. It's an unspecified adversity, which I think is intentional so that we can relate when we're going through our own adversities. But he's going through something very difficult here. Look at verse 3. He says, his tears have been his food day and night. And um, scholars say that that could mean that he doesn't have any food, but it more likely means that he is feeling so desperate that he's lost his appetite. Now, maybe you've been in a situation where you're so perplexed and so worried about the future that you can't even eat. If you've been there, you can relate to this psalmist. He is there. And then, to make matters worse, people are mocking him. Look at verses 3 and 10, and notice that his adversaries are mocking him. They're saying, where is your God? Where is your God? Now, something to note here is the psalmist has flagged for us Uh, The fact that the enemies that are taunting him and saying, where's your God, are probably people that are pagans, that are not people who believe in the God of the Bible. And we see that, he kind of sneaks that in there in verse 2. Notice in verse 2, he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So he's clarifying that he believes in the living God. These people taunting him believe in false gods or idols. And what they're saying from that See, in our fallen condition, this this is how we view things, we would say, where is God? That's the natural response. In fact, that's one of the key things that this exposes about that human condition, that fallen human condition, apart from the grace of God. We naturally think, if things aren't going well, God must have abandoned you. Or we think to ourselves, if things aren't going well, God must have abandoned me. But that is a very natural thought for us to have. That's what comes naturally when things are difficult. God must have abandoned me. God must not care about me. God must not love me. Or I must have done wrong. I must not have been a good enough Christian. That's why I'm suffering. That's why I'm going through this adversity. See, like the whole world, uh, apart from God's grace, the natural idea is that if you do good, then good things will happen. If you do bad, then bad things will happen. That's why karma is such a popular belief. It's what comes natural. So if I'm going through something hard, it's because I must not have done good enough or I must have done something bad. One of the the things, one of the places in the scriptures that this is so clear and it's so interesting is that in the book of in the book of Acts, at the end of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 28, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is standing talking to some people, and a snake, a viper, jumps out and bites him on the wrist. And the people's reaction is he must be a murderer! Something bad happened to him. They think they must have done bad things. And then he shakes off the viper, and God protects him. And the very next thing that people say is, he must be a god. Something good happened. He must be good. So that's part of what's at play here is we, we tend to think that if things are hard, it's because God has abandoned me and probably because I've messed up so much. And that is not the way God wants us to respond. He does not want us thinking that he's abandoned us or that we haven't been good enough, so he's taken off. So he teaches us not to think that way. You know what a conditioned response is? So like a conditioned response is something when it happens so many times, then it becomes the natural response. And what the fall did to humanity is gave our natural response that fear that God has abandoned me when things are hard. And we are far more conditioned than we tend to realize. In fact, I'll do, we'll do a little experiment. And this will show people of a certain age and then below a certain age. I'm going to say something to you, and you're going to give a conditioned response. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? Yes, you are. Now, those of us who are older are, have been conditioned by those movies to say that. The younger people are like, what? What? Well, you haven't been conditioned because you haven't seen the movies, which is unfortunate. But (laughs) as naturally as that came out of your mouth, God has abandoned me comes out of our hearts. Even the psalmist wrestles with us a little bit later when he says, why have you forgotten me? That's what's natural. So if we if we want to have hope in hard times we have to acknowledge that by nature we're going to assume if I'm struggling it's because God has abandoned me, it's because I haven't been good enough, it's because he's punishing me and God doesn't want that to be the conditioned response. He wants to recondition us with a new response, a good response. And therefore, number 2, if we want to have hope in hard times, we need to embrace God's sovereignty. Which the psalmist does here in This passage. We need to embrace God's sovereignty, his total and utter control over all things throughout all time in history. Okay? We need to embrace his sovereignty, even his sovereignty over our suffering, over our adversity. And I remember before I had been exposed to reading the Bible uh, from a reformed perspective and understanding the sovereignty of God, when when I was first approached, when somebody first showed me that God's actually sovereign over our suffering. I was so angry. I was like, that can't be. It can't be that way. But the more I read the scriptures, the Bible did what it does, and it changed my view on this very fact. And then I I came to believe that God is actually in control, even over our suffering. And what was so repugnant to me became actually a very sweet source of comfort and hope when in adversity and that's what the psalmist believes look at verse 7 he says deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls all your breakers and your waves have gone over me now in the ancient world the destructive power of water was used as a metaphor to talk about suffering and sorrow and that's what he's doing here but who's he talking to whose waterfalls, whose breakers, whose waves are drowning him? He's talking to God. He is straight up acknowledging that he knows ultimately God has sovereignly ordained this adversity that he's in. That God's in control. And that's one of the things that you, you when you, once you, open yourself to that and you see it anywhere. You start to see it everywhere in the scriptures that God really is in control over all things, even over our suffering. Uh, For another example would be Joseph. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, went through such tremendous suffering and trials uh, at the hands of his own brothers. And then in the end of his story, he stands there looking at his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20, and he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it. In other words, God meant all the suffering I experienced for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So so that's what we have to understand about God's sovereignty. When we're going through adversity, he's in control over that. And in his infinite wisdom, he's able to use it for a good purpose. He is using it for things that will ultimately end up being for our good and for his glory. And when we believe that, it's profoundly comforting and encouraging to know that we're not suffering in vain. God's doing something. He's going to use this for our good, for his glory. I was thinking about this uh, this week, and I, it came to what came to mind is my daughter, Lydia, Liddy Cat, as I call her. She's becoming quite a piano player. And uh, a couple years ago, when she was first starting to play she came to the crossroads that all piano players come to and that's when your teacher wants you to play a song where your two hands are going to do different things <laughs> at the same time all the piano players are like ooh hated that and and th- because it's it's very difficult for your brain to get conditioned to do two things at once. I I literally can't even try to imitate it because my mind doesn't do that. Uh, But she, she was sitting at the piano, and I remember being, I was in the other room, and I was hearing her play the same part of the song, Over over and over and I knew it wasn't quite right and I could hear her getting increasingly frustrated (sighs) she would just sigh and so I I decided I'd go and check in on her and I walked into the room and she looked up at me and she said why are you making me do this I hate this I don't want to play piano anymore I want to be done I hate this I'll never get it I don't want to do this and I said all right baby you don't ever have to touch a piano for as long as you live get away from that thing no, that's not what I said. I said, Lydia, Lydia Cat, hang in there. Keep working at it. It's going to take some time, but eventually it's going to happen, and then you'll be able to do it, and there will be joy. It will it'll be good, and, and sure enough, to her credit, she kept working at it, and eventually It happened, and I knew it. She was playing it just right. You could hear both of those things happen at the same time. I came out. She had this big, huge smile on her face, and I overreacted. I'm like, you see, Lydia? You see? I knew it was going to be good. I knew it if you just hang in there. You see, Lydia? And and she's probably like, whoa, Dad, chill out. just playing the piano here. But I'm thinking theologically, this is what's happening. This is what God does. Yes, this is why God allows these adversities in our lives. This is why he's doing this, because on the other side, something good there's something that glorifies him more and is good for me good for us now again I don't want to trivialize the sufferings that we go through playing piano and those challenges are one thing but the suffering and adversity that we experience in this life is far far greater far more challenging but the principle stays the same that God's in control and God's using these things for his glory and for our good the Bible explicitly says this in Romans eight twenty eight where Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so here's what God wants us to do, is to recondition our response to suffering, to realize God's in control. Uh, He's going to use this for good. I can trust him. See, when we do that, when when we let him recondition our response, we draw to him in times of adversity instead of away from him. And so maybe you're dealing with some health, health complications. Don't let the natural response of where's God? He's abandoned me. Don't let that happen. Recondition. Let the word recondition and say God's in control. God is good. God will get me through this. Or maybe it's some marital struggles. God is in control. God has ordained this to happen. God will get me through this. The greatest proof... That God uses the suffering of his beloved children for good, of course, is the cross. And there we see the greatest suffering, the suffering Christ endured for our sins. The greatest suffering is taking place, and out of it, God is bringing the greatest good the forgiveness of sins and righteousness for all who believe in Jesus. So we need to understand things about ourselves, we need to understand things about God's sovereignty. And then number three, we need to understand some things about God's faithfulness. If we want to have hope in hard times, we need to remember God's faithfulness. We need to remember God's faithfulness. Look at verse one. The psalmist begins this lament by saying, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, here's what's interesting about this verse. Um, These flowing streams that he's talking about, they were these perennial watercourses that would never run dry. In in this area of the world, uh, during the summer, there was a lot of different water sources that would dry up, and then the animals would have to go looking for those perennial water streams that are endless, limitless. The water will always be there. And what the psalmist is saying here is he knows he needs to go to the source of Unlimited hope. He needs to go to the source of limitless hope. And what I would submit to you is he's likely saying these things as he remembers times in the past that God has gotten him through a difficult season and after getting through it, by God's grace and with God's help, he went to praise and worship. God with unbelievable joy because God got him through the hard time. Look at verse 4. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. So as he's lamenting, as he's acknowledging to God just how hard this adversity is, he says, these are things I remember. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts And songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So now he's remembering times that in the past he has not only gone to worship God, but he has led the throng, he has led the people there because he's so excited to praise God for his goodness, to praise God, to sing God's praises. He's remembering the times where he has gone to praise God for his faithfulness to him. And in the face of that, in in the light of God's past faithfulness, now he starts to do what I believe this psalm teaches us to do, and that is he starts talking to himself. Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation and my god you see what he's doing even in the midst of this adversity that has him crying day and night he's saying why am i so down why am i letting this turmoil get to me i'm going to put my hope in god because i know i'm going to praise him again i know he's going to get me through this hard time and then i'm going to go and praise him once again, he's talking to himself. And I'll tell you what, as evangelicals, we don't talk to ourselves enough. We listen to ourselves too much. And we hear those voices in our head that say, this, you're never going to make it through this. This is never going to get better. Uh, all the goodness is gone. That's what we naturally do is we listen to ourselves. And the psalmist is saying, no, you've got to be talking to yourself. Tell yourself about the faithfulness of God. Tell yourself you know you'll praise him again. My dad used to say to me, Matt, It's okay to talk to yourself, and it's okay to ask yourself questions. There is a problem if you ask yourself to repeat the question, (laughs) but this application is so easy. (laughs) It's just talking to ourselves. It's taking the words of God and saying them to ourselves, and reconditioning that response. So instead of having the natural human response to adversity, God has abandoned me, God doesn't care about me, we recondition through the gospel, looking at Christ, so we believe, no, God loves me, God is with me, God is for me, God is in control over this adversity, he's going to use it for my good and for the good of others, he's going to use it for his glory, he's going to use it to show his power to get me through these things, and I will praise him for it. you got to talk to yourselves. And here's what's the sweetest part. You know where he anchors all of this? In God's special, promise-based love for his people. Look at verse 8. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. So he's singing a song at night to get him through this. And it's about the love that God commands during the day. Now, that love is not just ordinary love. It's a special love that God has only for his people. It's the Hebrew word, uh, sorry, first row, chesed. It's the Hebrew word chesed. It's a very special kind of love that God has for his people. It's a love that is covenantal. It's promise-based, meaning it's not performance-based. Meaning that the reason it is always full strength commanded towards us is because he has promised that it would be. Not because we have performed in some way. And that's why this psalm really drives us directly to Jesus. Directly to the cross. Why? Because how can God have unstoppable, unconditional unbreakable Unending love for sinners like us. When we deserve the wrath of God, we deserve his judgment. How can we have that love nonstop no matter what? Because the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, came and died on the cross and received the wrath of God that you and I deserve for our sins. So that through faith in him alone, not by anything we've done or anything we haven't done, but only through that faith, we receive forgiveness. We are declared righteous. We are promised eternal life. We are reconciled to God in full. That's how we can be absolutely sure that God's love is always upon us, never going away, and it will get us through anything. And on the other side, we will praise him. We need to be talking to ourselves. We need to be talking to each other. And if, you're, if, if talking out loud to yourself is too awkward, then sing it. You know why we sing so much on Sundays? To sing these truths into our hearts so they get conditioned. One of my favorite verses of Amazing Grace, usually when we sing Amazing Grace, we sing three verses and we leave this one out. Uh, Let me sing it. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Talk to yourself or sing to yourself, but sing about those promises of God's unending love fulfilled in Christ. And then. You talk to yourself. You say to yourself, why are you cast down, oh, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you teach us to hope in you, to imagine a good future for us. For this church, for the individuals, for the families here, for my family, thank you for graciously undoing the damage of the fall that causes us to think you've gone when we're suffering and reconditioning us through the cross, to know that you would never leave us or forsake us. Give us that hope that we will praise you again with exuberance and joy, get us through for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name.